our new series, What's Next. We're going to be talking about what happens to us, what happens when our time is up on planet Earth, what happens when we die, or what happens, hey, if Jesus comes back before we die. Now, we don't like to talk about dying, do we? But there is a place you really need to check out on the internet. It's kind of cool. It's called the Death Clock, okay? Just Google Death Clock. Go to the website. You type in your date of birth. You answer a few questions, and it will give you your estimated day of expiration. It will give you your death date. Now, I checked mine this week. It's May 10th, 2039. It's a Tuesday, which I was pretty excited about. That means I don't have to go to executive team meeting on Wednesday. So that's pretty cool. By the way, Joe Bosco, who's in charge of our security, he did his, and he died two and a half years ago. I thought that was incredible, too. But anyway, just go check it out. And according to the death clock, I have just under 775 seconds remaining in my life. It's just the Internet's friendly reminder that my life is slowly uh, slipping away. But every time I talk about death, people freak out just a little bit. Laura will not even have the discussion. I remember one time I had just conducted a funeral, and uh, Laura knew the person also, so she was with me. And we got in the car afterwards, and I said, honey, you know, we've never talked about this. But, but what, I mean, if you were to pass away before me, I mean, heaven forbid, how do you want me to handle it? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? And she, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm like, well, honey, we have to talk about it. Do you want to open casket, close casket? I'm not going to talk about it. I said, I will prop you up in a bikini and put a martini in your hand. That's what I'll do. I'll tell you that right now, you know. But we don't like to talk about it. But the reality is, every one of us sitting here, we have a death date. We are going to die. That's why George Bernard Shaw said, the stats on death are quite impressive. One out of one person dies, right? See? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time this weekend trying to convince you that you're going to die. I think we all know we're going to die. But we are going to spend some time in this series talking about what's next. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little hesitant to even uh, broach topics like this because I just, I know, especially if you've been around church for a while, I know how weird Christians can be about the end times. We love to sit around and debate this stuff and argue this stuff and churches split over this stuff and people stop talking, he doesn't even believe in the rapture, people stop talking to each other over this stuff. And what's really interesting is this, it doesn't really matter. Events are going to play out the way God designs for them to play out. Every one of us could present different biblical arguments using verses of different ways that it's going to play out. The reality is this. It's important how we're living our lives until we die, how we're living our lives until Christ returns, because, see, now we're deciding how we're going to be spending eternity. That's what's really important. I mean, we'll sit around in a coffee shop or in our small groups and we'll talk for hours about end-time theology and we won't take five minutes to go across the street and share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. But we're going to broach this because there are some things you need to know when you take your last breath, when those, ticks, those seconds finally tick off the clock. What's going to happen next? And it's really interesting because according to the Bible, you really only have two options. By the way, I say according to the Bible, and uh, I want you to know this. If you're new to Hope, maybe you're just visiting, maybe it's a New Year's resolution, maybe you moved to the area over the holidays, maybe you came to the Christmas production and you decided just to check us out. When you're looking at a church, you shouldn't really care about the pastor's opinion. When you show up at church, you ought to want to discover what does the Bible say, what does God's Word say, what does God have to say about this particular issue? And so that's what we're going to do in this series. And, 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 you know, I just want you to listen. Because I'm just going to give you the Word of God. You can decide what you want to do with it. It's your call. I will promise you this. Whatever you decide, we're going to fulfill our mission statement, which is to continue to love you where you are and, to grow, and encourage you to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
But we're going to talk about what the Bible says. And I say according to the Bible because, hey, we're Americans. We can believe whatever we want to believe, right? I mean, you can choose to believe that when you die, that's it. You can believe that. You can choose to, to believe, hey, when I die, I'm going to come back as a leprechaun and live somewhere over the rainbow. You can decide to believe that if you want to. You can choose to believe in reincarnation, that you're going to come back as a unicorn or a dung beetle, I guess, depending on how you live life, right? You can believe anything you want to believe, but according to the Bible, you are going to spend eternity, I am going to spend eternity in one of two places, even in a place called heaven or a place called hell. Now, it's New Year's. Let's start off on a positive note. I thought we would talk about heaven this weekend. Let's just assume we're all going to die and go to heaven. Or if Christ returns, we're all going to go to heaven. What is heaven going to be like? What does the Bible have to say about heaven? And let me just tell you up front, we don't have all the answers, but there are some things that the Bible is very, very clear about. By the way, the question I get asked most about heaven is this. Will my dog go to heaven? Will my cat go to heaven? Will my ferret go to heaven, right? I mean, we, as Americans, we're more concerned about where our animals are going to spend eternity than we are, where are we going to spend eternity? And my answer is always this, yours may, mine definitely will not. Based on their behavior, they're all in hell. No doubt about it. That's where my pets went. But the reality is this, only mankind is created in the image of God. We were the only ones created with the soul so that we could have a relationship with God. So odds are, uh, your pet is not going to go to heaven because your pet doesn't have a soul. I don't care what you think, they don't have a soul. And uh, there will be animals in heaven because the Bible talks about that, but I can't promise you that your pit bull is going to make it. So we'll just get that one out of the way. Second, here's the second most asked question, will there be sex in heaven? I get asked that a lot, but I realize it's only by men. I don't know what that says about you ladies, right? But there is just a lot of speculation what's heaven going to be like. So let me just give you 10 facts about heaven this morning. And this is a little different than how I normally teach. But let me just give you 10 facts about heaven. Here's the first one. Heaven is a real place. It's a real place. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 14, he's just hours away from the cross. He's still trying to prepare his disciples, help them understand why he came to this earth. And it wasn't to set up an earthly kingdom. It was a die on the cross to be our savior. And now he's getting close to that cross moment. And, and so he's telling them, and it's finally starting to sink in. And so in John chapter four, Jesus offers these words of encouragement. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't true, I would tell you. But then he says, this when he gets to John chapter 14 verse 2. I am going there to prepare a place for you. This word that Jesus uses for place, it's a Greek word, tapas, T-O-P-O-S. It literally means a geographical location. So that tells me that heaven isn't a state of mind. It is a destination. It is a real place. By the way, just to confuse matters a little bit more, there are actually two heavens. There's a heaven now, if you were to die today, let's hope that doesn't happen, I'm too busy to do your funeral this week. But if you were to die today, you would go immediately to heaven. It's the first heaven, but there's going to be a new heaven. I'll show you some verses that talk about this later. There's gonna be a new heaven set up on this planet after Jesus returns to earth. In fact, he's gonna destroy this earth, he's gonna recreate it, rebuild it, put it back together the way it was originally created, and we're gonna spend, those of us who are believers, we will spend all eternity with Jesus Christ, this new heaven on earth, but it is a real place. 
Now, if you brought your Bible this weekend, and I hope you will bring your Bible through this series, you need to make sure that what I'm teaching you is coming straight from the Word of God. If you brought your Bible, just grab a big chunk of it and go all the way to the end. If you get to the book of Concordance, you went just a little bit too far, back up to the book of Revelation, find Revelation chapter 6, because there are three verses in Revelation chapter 6 where we get a gold mine of information about this topic of heaven. Let me just read them to you. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. If you don't have the Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Now, these are martyrs who have died because of their faith. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And we can learn several things about heaven from this verse. First of all, we've learned that it's a real place. Fact number two, we will have bodies in heaven. And I mention that because I think a lot of people have the idea that when we die and go to heaven, we're just going to float around on clouds, and we're going to play harps, and we're going to eat grapes for all eternity. That's not the case. I mean, think about it. Why did these martyrs have robes if they didn't have bodies? But the great apostle Paul, he actually addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The verses seem a little confusing, but actually they're pretty clear. Let me just, let me just read them to you. The first, man, the first man was of the dust of the earth. So who was that? That's a reference to Adam. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So that's a reference to Jesus. As was the earthly man, Adam, so are those who are of the earth. And as the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So Paul says, we will bear the image of Jesus. What that means is this. When it comes to what our heavenly bodies are going to be like, Jesus is our example. Think about it, he had an earthly body. He got tired, he got hungry, he got sick. When he was on this earth, he got headaches, he threw up. There were times, I'm sure, that his sandals just killed his feet, you know, walking around Palestine, right? He had an earthly body. We know that his body suffered. We know that he died a physical death, but we also know that Jesus was resurrected with a heavenly body. And we know that that heavenly body walked on earth. We know that that heavenly body ate meals. In fact, on one occasion after the resurrection, that heavenly body walked right through a locked door. So that tells us that our heavenly bodies, they're gonna be different as far as the makeup, but in a lot of ways, they're going to be the same. For example, do you, mean, you remember the, the encounter that Jesus had with Thomas? And Thomas is like, man, I don't really believe that you rose from the dead. Remember that? And we call him Doubting Thomas. The, the reality is he was just honest Thomas, right? He just was honest enough to say what he was thinking. And when he says, I'm not really sure it's true, what did Jesus say? Hey, touch my hand right here, Thomas. You can feel where the nails went in. Hey, touch my side. You can feel where the spear went in, right? And so there's a definite connection between our physical body and our heavenly body. By the way, we'll talk more about this in a few weeks. But our physical bodies will reunite with our spiritual bodies or with our souls at the second coming of Jesus to this earth. And I'll just tell you this kind of as a side note. Maybe you didn't know it. But the second coming of Jesus actually impacts how we bury people. For example, when a minister or when I perform a funeral, we always stand at the head of the casket. If you're ever performing a funeral, you'll get to the cemetery and you'll get behind the hearse and the funeral director will always tell you where the head is because that's where you stand. But I don't need to know that because I've done these long enough. Did you realize that because 
uh, of our spiritual heritage here in America. By the way, a spiritual heritage that is quickly slipping away. Did you have a hard time finding somebody to wish you a Merry Christmas over the holidays, right? It is slipping away. But because of our spiritual heritage in America, we bury people with their feet to the east and their head to the west. Did you know that? And we do that because of something that Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. He said this, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus says, I'm going to come from the east. So we bury people so that they will come out of the ground at the second coming facing Jesus. That's where that tradition comes from. If you get nothing else out of this series, you now know where to stand if you are ever conducting a funeral, right? So we will have real bodies in heaven. Fact number three, when we die, we go to heaven immediately. And I say that because a lot of people believe and they've been taught that when you die, you enter into some kind of suspended state until Jesus returns. The Bible doesn't teach that. As we're gonna see next week as we address the topic of hell, the Bible doesn't talk about a purgatory. The Bible says that when we die, if we are believers, if we are Christians, if we've accepted God's free gift of salvation made possible through Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we immediately go to heaven. I mean, think about it. Back in Revelation chapter 6, these martyrs have died, but they're in heaven talking to God. The second coming hasn't occurred yet. It doesn't take place to Revelation chapter 19, but they're already in the presence of God. And what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, today, in just a few minutes now, you will be with me in paradise. Paul added this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Maybe your translation, I like it better. It says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when we die, we immediately go into the presence of God in heaven. Fact number four, we will have emotions in heaven. You'll notice here in Revelation chapter 6 that these martyrs care deeply about what was taking place on earth. They're like, God, when are you going to avenge what was done to us? When are you going to take care of that? And so they felt, they, they felt deeply about this. This really, really bothered them. We're going to have emotions in heaven. We're going to feel emotions. And some of those emotions will be happy. Some of these emotions are going to be sad. Let me show you a couple examples. Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is speaking, and this is in the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, and the lost son or the prodigal son. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing, well, there's an emotion, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So we know there's going to be rejoicing in heaven, and we expect that, right? But li listen to this verse, Revelation 21, 4, and I'll say more about this in a few minutes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. So there's going to be some sadness in heaven. There's going to be some sorrow in heaven. I think maybe for those of us who are Christians, it's probably going to be a little bit of regret. I'm sure when we get to heaven, we see how magnificent it is to actually be in the presence of the one who died on the cross and paid for our sins so that we could live all eternally in a place called heaven. I think there's going to be some regret. I think we'll shed a few tears. I think we'll feel like, wow, I wish I'd have taken this more seriously. And there are probably people that we're going to think, wow, I wish I'd have been a little bit more diligent about making sure they got to come to heaven. This also could take place after 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about that as believers, we're going to be judged, not, not to decide whether or not we're going to get into heaven or not, but we're going to be judged how we lived our lives on heaven, in heaven. And Paul talks about that. And maybe after we see how little we actually did for Christ with the right motive, right, with the right heart, 
My guess is we're going to shed a few tears. But it tells us that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. So we're going to have emotions in heaven. Fact number five. We won't know everything in heaven. Look what it says, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. The martyrs asked, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They didn't know everything. They're like, when is this going to take place? There's another place where Jesus is, is speaking, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. He says, but about that day or hour, and he's talking about his second coming, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son. Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm going to come back, only the Father. So that tells me that those who are in heaven, they don't know when Jesus is going to return, so they don't know everything. And I think this is a common misconception because if you've been around church for a while, there are two verses that we put together. These verses don't say what we think they say. We think they say when we get to heaven, we're going to be like God. We're going to be omniscient. We're going to be all-knowing. It doesn't say that. Let me show you the verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Paul writes this, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Literally what it's saying is this, when I get to heaven, I'll have a heavenly perspective. It will click, the light will go on, it's like, oh yeah, now I understand why things worked out the way they worked out. God had a reason, God had a purpose, we will have a heavenly perspective. But that's not saying we'll know everything. Here's another one, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. But understand, when it says that we're going to be like him, well, think about this. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were also like God before sin, but they weren't omniscient. They weren't all-knowing. And just as Adam and Eve weren't omniscient, we're not going to be omniscient. We're not going to know everything in heaven. And I actually think that this is going to be one of the great things about heaven. I mean, if you just appeared in heaven all of a sudden, absent from the body, present with the Lord, if you walked into heaven and all of a sudden you knew everything, you wouldn't have anything to learn in heaven. You wouldn't have anything to explore. You wouldn't have anything to discover. You see, I believe that when we get to heaven, we will be continually learning things for all eternity. I think that we'll be able to explore the galaxy, the Milky Way, the universe, better than the creators of the Hubble telescope ever imagined or dreamed. We're gonna have all eternity to learn about God's creation. I mean, how cool is that? If you like the Discovery Channel, I'm a nerd, I like that. I was a, I, I was a science minor in college. If you, if you like the Discovery Channel, you're going to love heaven. You're going to be head over heels in heaven, right? You're going to just learning stuff all the time. Fact number six, in heaven, we will know what's happening on earth. And I used to say no to this. No, of course, how could you know what's happening on earth? In fact, after Lars' dad passed away three years ago this weekend, he was 91 years old, incredibly godly man, incredible man. And Laura would often ask me if we were going through a tough time or our kids were going through a tough time or things were just happening, she would say, you think my dad knows what's going on? And I said, no, how could he be happy enjoying heaven if he knew all the mess that we were putting up, having to put up with here on planet Earth? But I've changed my mind about that. Think about this. Back here in Revelation chapter 6, the martyrs asked, when are you going to avenge our blood? <laughs> when are you going to make those people pay for what they did to us? And in other words, they knew that those people were still walking around. So we will know what takes place on earth, but again, we'll see it from a heavenly perspective. It will make sense to us. But let me give you another illustration of why I believe this. Hebrews chapter 11. If you've ever read the New Testament, you know that this is what is known as the hall of faith. 
And in it, it talks about all these great Old Testament characters who lived and walked by faith. For example, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. And it tells that story. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life. Maybe you have a King James somewhere around your house. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not. One day he was just walking with God and God took him right on to heaven. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? How about verse seven? By faith, Noah, and it talks about how Noah built the ark. Think about it, it had never rained before, but Noah built this ark. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses. And it talks about how these people live by faith, and then the chapter ends, and you get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, and it says this, therefore, therefore, based on everything I just talked about in chapter 11, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. That tells me that we have people in heaven that are cheering us on, that want us to finish strong, that are telling us, we did it, you can do it. Here, here's a verse I referred to earlier. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So somebody knows who, that we're repenting. And I used to teach that these were the angels. That the angels celebrated when, 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 when we became Christians, when we became followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would, I would paint this picture. Of when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a celebration in heaven thrown by the angels and your name is on the banner, right? But last weekend, I'm down in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I'm teaching out of Luke chapter 15 about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And if you get down three more verses to verse 10, and I'm reading this out loud, and I have, as many times as I'd read this, I had never noticed it before. Verse 10 of the same chapter says, Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in, look at this, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels aren't rejoicing. Somebody's rejoicing in their presence. I used to think it's the angels. I, now I think it's our friends and family that have gone on before us. It's your mom, your dad, your grandparents. When that day you finally crossed the line and you became a follower of Jesus Christ and your eternal security was taken care of, they were celebrating in the presence of angels. How cool is it to think of that, right? Not only that, they're cheering us on. I said my father-in-law died three years ago this weekend. I mean, he was a man's man. We used to go out on these three-day albacore trips out in the San Diego, out of, uh, down in the Mexican waters chasing fish. And we just, he just was a great guy, godly man, loved life. But he had three daughters. That means that he had three, three son-in-laws. And uh, he had a great time with us. And we would say things or do things. And he was 100% full Russian. And this is what he would say. Dumb. He'd look at us and dumb, you know. And we would just all laugh about it, right? Dumb, you know. And he used to say, You don't get wise until you're 40. And we turned 40. He said, I changed my mind. You do not get wise until you're 50. At 50, he changed his mind again. I'll be 60 in July. He'll, he didn't get to see it on earth. He'll get to see it in heaven. But he's, pr he's probably going to bump it up to 70. <laughs> but I was telling Laura that after I studied this, I thought, Man, dad is in heaven. And there must be times when I do things or say things or think things or respond a certain way when he just goes dumb. <laughs> but I think there are times where he says, yeah, you can do this. You can do this. I mean, think about that. Fact number seven, in heaven, we will remember our lives on earth. These martyrs, they remembered that they were murdered. I mean, they were walking around. Hey, what happened to you? Burned at the stake. Wow, what happened to you? Stone bummer, man. I mean, my point is, they remembered their lives. 
Now let me tell you why this is so important that we're gonna remember our lives. When you get to heaven, if you don't have anything to compare heaven to, pretend that you never remember life on planet Earth. If you don't have anything to compare heaven to, why in the world would you even appreciate it? See, I believe that when we get to heaven, our memories will make us grateful. We'll remember all this crap we put up with. We'll remember all the pain, all the suffering, all the heartache, all the sadness, and those memories will make us grateful. But see, as we're gonna see next week, if we go to hell, our memories will torment us because we will constantly be reminded for all eternity, I refuse God's love. I refuse God's goodness. It did not have to be this way. It didn't have to end up this way. You remember the words of John Greenleaf Whittier, for all said words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, our memories are gonna, they're gonna make us grateful. We'll have memories. Fact number eight, we will know other people in heaven. You remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Paul says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, but look at this last phrase, even as I am fully known. This is what I think. I think in heaven, we will finally know people. I mean, let's be honest. Do we really know each other? We just went through a great small group study before Christmas. We went through a series, Life As We Know It. Remember that? And in your small group study, you, you, you told stories. The first time we'd ever uh, intentionally, but you told stories about a beginning, a beginning story of your life, an obstacle that you went through in life. What brought you hope? What does your future look like? And, and, and you had to open up and you had to peel back the layers of your life to let people see in. And I had so many people tell me, man, I was in a small group with this person for months, for years. I had no idea that that was a part of their life story. So you think you know me, you don't really know me. If you really knew me, you wouldn't come here. And I think I know you, but I don't really know you, because if I really knew you, I probably wouldn't talk to you. But uh, you know, let's fare both ways, right? Let's be honest here, okay? But when we get to heaven, we're gonna finally, we're gonna finally understand each other. Some of you men, you're gonna understand your wives for the first time. You're gonna like, wow! You really are brilliant. People told me you were. I never saw it. You're incredible. You're going to have all eternity to tell her that, right? Let me show you a great verse. Jesus is speaking, Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take place, take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying that you're going to have all eternity to get to know these people. One day you'll be able to sit down with Noah and say, Noah, come on, seriously, tell me, what was it like trying to get all of those animals in that ark? It'd be crazy, you know. Or David, David, what was it like when you picked up those five smooth stones and you just, just walked right out in the, in the middle of that valley of Elah to take on that giant? I mean, what were you really feeling? Or Abraham, I'm a dad, I can't imagine. Tell me what you were thinking, tell me what you were imagining as you had Isaac and you were walking up Mount Moriah to make a sacrifice and you knew that if God didn't provide, you were gonna have to put a knife into your own son. What were you thinking? Moses, what was it like? I mean, you just led these two and a half million Jews out of slavery and now you're just standing at the Red Sea and you can see the dust of the Egyptian army in your rearview mirror. What was it? Mary, what was it like when Gabriel woke you up in the middle of the night 
and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. What was it like when you laid him in a feeding trough that first time? When you heard God cry? What was that like, right? Now, I'm going to be honest. I worry a little bit about this one because I've taught about all these people, and I have aired their dirty laundry. So I'm not sure that they're going to be that excited to see me. Can you imagine Rahab coming up to me? Did you really call me Rahab to ho, ho, ho? What, I mean, what were you thinking, right? Right? It was Christmas, Rahab. But anyway, it was Christmas. We'll know people in heaven. In fact, number nine, heaven won't be boring. And I say that because I've only been to one mass, and it was a wedding. Good gracious people, let me marry you. I can do it in 15 minutes, and we'll even laugh in the process. But anyway... Some people that think heaven's going to be like mass for all eternity, and I know about 60% of you here are former Catholics, you know what I'm talking about. I've actually had people say to me, huh, I don't want to go to heaven, I'd be bored to death, right? I remember thinking that as a child, really, I got to sit around and just sing for all eternity, that's what we're going to do, just sing, you know? Or I don't want to go to heaven because none of my friends will be there, right? I'm telling you, heaven is getting a bum rap. And you know who the problem is? Christians. Christians. So we walk around all pious. Oh, I've got the answer to life after the grave. What is it? You can go to heaven. Where is it? I don't know. What's it like? Don't have a clue, right? I mean, can you imagine being diagnosed with cancer and they tell you it's not curable and you go to the doctor and he opens up a safe and he said, listen, I got this pill. Nobody knows about it. It's not FDA approved. But if you take it, your cancer will be gone. In a week you go back and you get a checkup and it is gone do you think that you would tell everybody you came across who had cancer, you got to visit this doctor. you got to visit this doctor. Let me tell you about this doctor. Let me tell you what this doctor did for me. We have the answer to life after the grave. When's the last time you sat down and shared the message of Jesus Christ with someone? Because their eternal destiny is at stake. Let me tell you why it's so important that we do things like study heaven. The more we understand heaven the more motivated we are to make sure that our friends and loved ones go there. And the more we understand hell, and we're going to look at that next week, the more motivated we'll be to make sure that our friends and loved ones don't go there. Listen, I, I can't describe heaven. It, it would blow our minds, but we get just a little glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Remember I told you that. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I think that was important to John because remember he was banished to the Isle of Patmos and he'd been surrounded by ocean and he was so relieved not to see any ocean, right? He says, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Men, do you, do you remember standing down at the front of the aisle with the minister and seeing your wife for the first time when those back doors opened at your wedding? Yeah, that's the scene here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now this is Jesus speaking, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Imagine this, after thousands and thousands of years of history, wars, disease, pestilence, famine, Republicans and Democrats, right? God is gonna destroy this mess. And he's going to put it all back together. And he is going to reestablish the context for relationship with his prized creation. That's us. 
He doesn't say that about anything else that he created, only mankind. But then here's that verse again, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time someone felt comfortable enough with you to reach out and brush a tear off your cheek? I have the most adorable granddaughter. She's two. But every once in a while she'll cry because her parents irritate her. She'll come to grandpa. And it's so cute because she'll still have those little tears just sitting right up on those little chubby cheeks, right? You just brush them away. See, that's what a mom did for us when our hearts were broken. That's a husband and a wife when something bad has happened. And I don't know, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I want you to understand this is how personal heaven is going to be. God says, I will wipe every tear from your eye. Understand, that's a picture of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. In fact, that's the picture of the kind of relationship God has always wanted with us from the very, very beginning. The Bible is really nothing more than an epic love story of God's pursuit to restore that kind of intimate relationship with his prized creation. Let me tell you something. The greatest thing about heaven is not gonna be gold streets and mansions. That'll be cool. It's gonna be the perfect relationships we have with God and with each other. It is gonna blow our minds. Now, this is the last one, fact number 10. Not everyone will be in heaven. And it makes me sad to say that, but you need to know. I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you not everybody's gonna be in heaven. Next week, we'll talk about hell. And it's interesting. God didn't prepare hell for us. He prepared hell for Satan and his angels. But you know what? He did prepare heaven for us. And we're gonna see that God's not desires that any perish, but everybody comes to repentance, but not everybody's going to. Not everybody's gonna go to heaven. You say, well, Mike, who's gonna go? Only those who've accepted God's free gift of salvation made possible through Jesus. That's who's gonna be there. This is what Jesus said, John chapter 14. Remember when I said earlier, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. A couple of verses later, this is what Jesus said. You wanna go there? You wanna be with the Father? Jesus said this in John 14, six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying this, nobody will be in heaven except those who have come through me. Well, wait a second, Mike, I'm new to church, but that seems pretty narrow, kind of exclusive. It's not exclusive because it's available to everyone. You say, well, what about the Muslims? There's some good Muslims out there. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How about Buddhist? How about Hindu? How about... Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who will be there? Those who believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. The Savior who came to this earth to take away the sins of the world. Now I want you to understand something. I, I don't want you to leave here thinking, oh, I got to, well, I believe that Jesus came to this earth. I even believe he died on the cross. I think I'm going to get to go to heaven. I'm telling you, if that's your attitude, you're going to miss it. It's not about believing it here. It's about accepting it here. It's about appropriating it into your life. It's about allowing what Jesus did, that you trust him with your life and you follow him, and he begins to transform and conform your life to match his life. It's a journey. It's a lifestyle. You see, a lot of people think I'm just going to do some good stuff and I'm going to get into heaven, but this is what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 20, 20, 22. Many will, many will say to me on that day, not a few people, many, Lord, I did this, I did that, I went to church, I gave some money, I served, I helped the poor. 
And Jesus is going to say, yeah, you did a lot of good stuff. But we never had a relationship. You never followed me. And then he will add these words, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I'm not trying to scare you because I don't think that getting scared and making a decision just so you don't go to hell, I don't think that really means anything. Most of us, 48 hours, we got over this mess and we go on with life, right? And if it were up to me, I would have done this differently. In the end, everybody would have lived happily ever after. But there is a God and I'm not him. And so God said, hey, this is available to everyone, but I'm gonna give you free will. You get to decide. Now, I get it, this is real, this is heavy, and we, we live in a world that doesn't think seriously about this anymore because it's not very politically correct to say some of the things that I'm saying. But I'm telling you, we better take it seriously because if you believe the Bible and if you believe Jesus, then hey, our eternity is at stake. So let's bow together. Let me let you go. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Wow, this is so narrow. This is so bigoted. I'm never coming back to this place. Let me just say this. You don't have to agree. But be broad enough to hear. Hear it all. And then make an intelligent decision about whether you want to follow Jesus or not. And that's why God gave us the free will. But let me just tell you this. Regardless of your situation in life, you need a savior. You need a savior. You need saving. And when the angels announced it to the shepherd, they said, well, you have one. He's born today in the city of David. He's a savior. He's Christ the Lord. But do you remember how they started it out? It's good news for all people. All people. Let me just, if you're not sure, man, if you were to take your last breath today, and you got ushered into, if you're not sure where you would spend it, it's foolish not to, not to, not to seal that deal. And I would just encourage you, we're gonna dismiss and everybody's gonna leave. And If you don't know for sure, just hang around. Come on down here to the front. Just come down to the front row. We have people that'll just come and sit beside you. They'll talk with you, answer the questions, encourage you, tell you how you can know for sure that your eternal destiny is taken care of and you'll walk out of here a new person. Old things have passed away, Jesus said. All things have become new. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that even while we were sinners, you gave your only begotten son, your most valued possession, to die for us. Because your goal all along has been to be in a relationship with us, but because you're a holy God, Somebody's got to pay for sin. And your son paid it. And if we accept that gift, we can be restored and reconciled back into that relationship with you. Help us to understand the greatness of that gift. And I pray for anyone where there's uncertainty in their life that they would find certainty together today. And Father, as we go through this series together, may you just open our eyes up to who you are and to your character. Because at the end of the day, you are a good, 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 good father. It's your name we pray. Amen.